Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Good morning, Vessel Collective Church, and welcome to Easter Sunday 2020. We are so excited that you're here and that you're gathering with us from the comfort and safety and quarantine zone of your home. So thank you so much for tuning in and for joining. Um, as we ramp into this morning, I know that Josh mentioned it during the worship, but we want to encourage you to share, comment, let us know that you're here. I don't know if this is possible. I don't know enough about Facebook. I know some, but if you're watching this live on Facebook, if you could take a picture of your family, we would love to see that, and you can place it in the comments. Um, you can show us that you're in your Easter best whether that's Easter dress like I'm in, or you're in your Easter pajamas, anything qualifies. There is no judgment. We understand, like Shay, she's like perpetual bun uh, on her head, kind of sweats. Her glasses are on. She's comfortable. She's going to be mad that I said all of that. But uh, I would love to see, we would all love to see your families and where you're gathering from and share this. I mean, I think Josh said at the beginning of worship about the idea that it's Easter Sunday, and this is the 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 Sunday of the year that is most highly attended um, in the United States and in, in, in the world, that this is the highest attendance Sunday. And so there are people that are out there that are part of your Facebook network or your YouTube network or whatever it is, um, your, your neighborhood, whatever that might be, that are probably looking for a service. And so if you could share this with them, uh, let them know, and they are looking for something. I read a statistic this week. Uh, I wrote a little Easter letter to our church. And I read a statistic that said that 82% of people who do not go to church and don't attend church regularly would said that they would attend on Easter Sunday if someone invited them. So right now you can text someone. We would love for them to participate. So thank you for joining us and for being here. Uh, I am in my Easter best. This is a little cheat. I wore this. This was my Easter shirt last year as Shay went out and went shopping and bought us Easter clothes as... um, moms and wives and uh, do uh, have a tendency to do so this is but we couldn't shop so this is my Easter shirt from last year so I'm kind of cheating somehow Sloan and our boys both got new Easter outfits but I did not so I whipped this bad boy out of the closet this morning put an iron to it and here I am with my pastel blue and pink so uh, I'm sure you are the same at home and you've hunted Easter eggs and all that so thank you so much for being here you know uh, as different as this is, one thing I've really reflected on this week and uh, before we, we started the recording for this morning's message, our Easter message, we were talking with uh, Gary and Dustin. We were here and we were just talking about just the changing world that's around us. And I think that we are over, we are at least a month into this and we keep saying when this, you know, like I've heard again, when this is over, man, when this is over, we can get back to church. When this is over and we can uh, have friends over. When this is over, we can go out to eat. And we had that conversation with our kids this week, Shay and I. We just talked about what is the first thing that you want to do when this is all said and done? And they all picked that they wanted to go eat pizza. So we will go out to a pizza place when all this is lifted. But at the same time, as we think continually about the future and about what happens and, and the circumstance that we're in, I believe that there is something that we're missing out on. And, and this is a tendency of, this is human nature, I believe, that a lot of times we think so far in the future about what things are going to be like or what the future holds. And the truth is, is we do not know. 
and all of our planning and all of our efforts and energy to create a life that's got a direction uh, and a perceived direction, um, there's anything that can throw that off course. And so I want to urge you as I, and this is, this is me, this is accountability to me, this is what I'm doing, is I'm going to stop talking about when this is all over. And I'm realizing that this is the norm, that our new normal is gathering online. And I hate preaching to Shay's pink or purple iPhone and streaming it to you. I don't like it. I want to see you. I want to be in our gym on Sunday morning. I want to see the people. I mean, I as Martha prayed beforehand, I love Martha's prayer, our Easter prayer, and she prayed about our room on Sunday mornings. I can close my eyes and I can envision where people are and who's sitting there. I know the people that sometimes nod off uh, kind of towards the midway through my message. I know the people, if I need like some comfort and some security, I will walk over this direction and I will look at them and they will smile and give me a nod that gives all of my comforts and all the things that in my brokenness I need. And so I can picture that, but this is normal. And so I am going to, and I want to, church, you can keep me accountable to, I'm going to stop saying this is weird, and I know this is strange, or this is awkward, or I feel uncomfortable, because this is normal. And the Lord is doing something now. The Lord is not waiting for this to pass. The Lord is not waiting for this to come to an end. The Lord is not waiting um, for us to go back to normal. We live in a broken world that desperately needs Jesus Christ every single moment of every single day. And it is Easter Sunday, 2020, and you and I, we need Jesus for the very breath that we're breathing right now. It's grace and mercy and a gift. So I just want to encourage you to not let this moment and this time pass. That the Lord is at work. He's at work in our lives. He's at work in our community. He's at work in the world. And if we, if we are just wishing and waiting for the future, we're missing what God is doing now. So I believe with all of my heart that God is doing something significant here. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump into our Easter message. It's going to be out of Luke chapter 24. We're going to have the scripture up on the screen, but you can flip there now. But let me pray, and let, let's just invite God into our homes. And so, dear Jesus, I thank you so much um, that you never stop. God, that is your word says you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, that's tomorrow, that's next week, that's a Sunday after Easter. God, that's a year from now that you never change. And our circumstances and our lives are always changing. And there's inconsistency throughout, Jesus, but not you. I thank you that you're working, and I pray for this message right now and for our church right now and, and not just the vessel, Lord, but I'm praying for the, I pray for the church and your bride around the world that is celebrating a risen Savior that is alive and active and real. God, as we're going to read this morning, that your, your flesh was risen. And God, I just pray for your bride right now. I pray that you work mighty and amazingly through your church during this season. I pray for our message this Sunday as we dive in. Lord, would you speak through your word? Would it be sharper than any double-edged sword that would pierce us to our very hearts and souls? God, that would touch us in a way that nothing else can and that your truth would ring out. God, would you silence my voice, amplify your own, 
And God, we gather in your name and your word promises us that you're there. And so we invite you into our homes right now. We invite you into this time and we pray all of this in your precious and holy name. Amen. So as I mentioned, we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 24. If you've been here the past, I don't know, month or so, we've been in a series called The Last Days. where We've looked at these last few days of Jesus Christ, beginning on his journey uh, to Jerusalem. And so uh, he's, he's gone to Jerusalem, and we, we jump ahead several chapters as we spent three weeks in, in 18 and 19 of Luke. And now we are, we are at the end, the final chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 24, and it is the, the chapter that... Uh, that tells us about our risen Savior. And so Luke chapter 24, um, there, a lot has happened, obviously, between uh, Jesus throwing, you know, turning over the, the, the tables in the temple courts from Palm Sunday and then waving palms and laying down their coats. A lot has happened by, since then. If you gather with us last night, which is when this recording on Friday night for you, um, you were, and you participated in our Good Friday service, we read the last seven statements that Jesus said as he hung on the cross. And so <clears throat> Jesus has been crucified. Jesus has been wrapped in a cloth, laid in the tomb, um, that the disciples and the people and his followers are mourning and brokenhearted over the loss of their Savior, and still they don't understand. They still don't fully get it. And um, so... On Easter Sunday, uh, the women go to the tomb and, and they go in and they've brought spices. Uh, they've brought spices and herbs and they go to, to continue to mourn him. And they arrive at the tomb and the stone has been rolled away. So they enter into the tomb and there is, Jesus is not there. He's not there. And they're visited by two angels. And the angel says, why do you look for the living among the dead? For he is risen. And that is the, the, the most powerful statement in all of Scripture. He is risen. And if those three words weren't true, and if those three words weren't written, then none of this would matter. Then nothing would matter. It would all be for naught. But the angel says, why do you look for the living among the dead? for he is risen. And the women run off. And interesting enough is that it is women that first share the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they run off and they tell the disciples that Jesus is not there. And of course, uh, like typical men, they don't believe him. They're like, I got to see it for myself. You're probably wrong. And so Peter, you know, he, he the scripture says he girds up his robe, uh, which is, this, you know, there's a lot of symbolism in the Bible. And he, he girds up his robe and he runs to the temple to find uh, it empty. And he comes back and he's like, they're right. It's, he is definitely not there. And, um, so then we, 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 we see Jesus on the road to Emmaus on the walk to Emmaus as he meets these two people, um, and walks with them and they bring him into their home. And so then finally in verse 36 of, uh, Luke chapter 24, he arrives with his disciples, which is where he was going. He arrives in their midst. And so that's where we're going to be this morning. So I'm just going to read through the scripture and then we're going to look at some really important, significant things for us uh, on Easter Sunday, 2020. So Luke chapter 24, verse 30, beginning verse 36 says this, as they were talking about these things, and these things are what the women had reported, what Peter had reported, uh, what they come back and reported that, that, that Jesus is not there. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they'd seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? 
Why do doubts arise in your heart? So here they are, and they're gathered in their home. And uh, the Gospel of John actually gives us more details. John says that they're they are locked in the upper room, and they're they're trembling in fear. That that you you we have this image of these disciples as these uber holy men. And they found the empty tomb, which is what Jesus said he was going to do. I mean, you look all the way back to Luke 18. He said all this. And they're there, and the house is locked, and they're in fear. And then it says Jesus is among them. Even though he's flesh and blood, as we're going to see here, he's in their midst, and they're, they're frightened, and they're scared. And this idea of, of the disciples seeing Christ and being frightened by seeing him is very constant through Scripture. I was at a prayer I was at a prayer event with pastors, I don't know, two or three years ago, and, and uh, we're, you know, we're just praying. If you've ever been to uh, those sort of things, they're interesting and different, and I struggle in those a lot. And so somebody stood up, and, and we were leading through this prayer time, and they said, you know, if Jesus was here right now in the flesh, like, what would you say to him? Like, if, if just instantaneously right now Jesus came in our midst, what would you say to him? Oh, man, I would worship him and fall at his feet and i would tell him how much i love him and i would run to his arms which are all things are true we think about jesus in our mind and we think about about that and how we would react but that's not true because that's not how the disciples react i'm sitting there thinking no we would be afraid like if jesus showed up right here right now i would be like oh my gosh this is crazy and so we they the, the disciples they respond with fear and he says to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Verse 39, he shows them himself. He says, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? And I love this idea as they can't believe and they're afraid that he's there in the flesh. And then Jesus says, touch me, see me. And the word literally, the word literally says, handle me. And if you look again at, 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 at John chapter 20, uh, and you, we, we all know doubting Thomas and the, the disciple Thomas, he says to, to put your hands in my side where I was pierced for your transgressions. Isaiah chapter 53, he says, touch me, touch my wounds that are here. And then I love this. It says they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. And just as a caveat, and this was one of my points of my message that I took out, but I can't not say it. It doesn't say that they were, un that they, they were unbelieving. It says that they were in disbelief. It's amazement. And if you've ever had that moment where you've seen something or realized something, you've been so amazed that this has actually happened. You're so joyful and marveling. And that is so true with our relationship with Jesus. If you think about and you have a walk with Christ again and again and again and again, he does things and we're just in awe of how amazing it is. You know, when we were praying before recording this message, um, Gary was talking about his own home and we are here in his house. And he said when, I, when he moved in here, he prayed that this home would be a home of fellowship, would be a home of prayer, would be a home of love, would be a home of worship. And like to you pray things like that, and you think, yeah, like, well, I want that. But man, look, like that is literally happening. And we can stand here and think about that. But that's amazing that we can marvel at how incredible God answered that prayer that he prayed years ago. And the Lord is doing that for them right here. Verse 42 
Jesus asked them, have you anything to eat? Which is a really funny question at this moment, but he does. Have you anything to eat? Verse 42 says, and they gave him a piece of broiled fish, true to the fishermen that they are. And he took it and ate before them. And then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understanding the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. So Jesus tells him this. He reminds them of what Scripture said. It says he opened his mind and he shares the gospel with them. That is the gospel with them. And he said, thus is written, that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations, Gentiles, Jews, everyone, Round Rock, Texans, wherever you are watching this from, the repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to you in his name. And he shares the gospel, and he says to them, verse 48, you are witnesses to these things. If you have been the vessel this year, and you've been a good little uh, boy or girl and going to church, you know that we did a whole series on what it means to be a witness. And you know that that word right there, you are witnesses, you are martus, is the word there. What it means to witness these things, and behold, I'm sending a promise to you. And so that is this interaction that Jesus has. And you can read on after the message is over and see his ascension uh, into heaven. But on Easter Sunday, 2000 and some odd years ago, Jesus goes and meets with these disciples. And it's amazing how scripture is so real, true, and relevant um, to where we are right now. And so I think that there's some significant things here that we, that can speak to us as a church, to speak to us as a people, um, wherever you are, whether you're part of the vessel, whether you're watching this and you, you, you proclaim salvation in the name of Jesus Christ, or you're seeking and you don't know Jesus, or you're skeptical, or you're an atheist, or you're Buddhist, whatever it is, there's, there's truth here for us even today. And so I want us to, to look at a few things, and I, I think even as we look at them, you're going to see sometimes what, what we get into are these misconceptions. We think it's this way, but it's actually the other way. And so those are some of the things I think are important for us to point out and look to this morning. The first of those things is this is Jesus meets them in a home and not a temple. Home, not temple. Verse 36 says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus stood among them. He stood among them. And the, the, the place that he's meeting them is the upper room. He is meeting them in a home. You know, they aren't at the, the altar of the temple, you know, hands on their, you know, on their knees praying and praying for God to, re- praying for Jesus to return and praying for his resurrection. They're not doing that, that they're afraid. Scripture said in John chapter 20 says they're, they're in fear and they're not even in prayer. They're, they're gossiping. I saw him, I ran to the tomb and they, they said that he, they, that he was risen and he wasn't there and I didn't believe him. And then I ran ahead. That can't be true. What is happening? And it's like the, if you've ever, 
uh, I don't know what type of organization or you're a part of, but it's like the meeting after the meeting that's typically in the parking lot that you are having after the, the real meeting. And I've been in plenty of those uh, parking lot meetings uh, after real meetings. And so it's, it's like that. They're gathered. They don't know what's going on. They're not there in the temple, but they're in their home. And John chapter 20 says this, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace with you. And we have this image in our mind and we have, the, we have this thought of, you know, being in this cathedral or, or this church building or this steeple or this chapel, whatever, like if you close your eyes and you imagine what a church is, like we, we have this image and there's a painting or there's a stained glass or there's a statue or there's a crucifix and a cross with Jesus on, like that's the image that we have in our mind. And that's not where these disciples are. They're not gathered in some temple. They are gathered in their homes. And I think that one of the best things that has come out of and what I believe that the Lord is doing uh, for his sake and for his kingdom during all of this uh, quarantine and shelter in place is that he is breaking up our paradigm of what we think church should be. And that's one of the biggest blessings out of this church at home is that that like the, the suburban upper middle class, whatever that church is that we think and it fits within this box and we define it as this and we have all this structure around it that, that during all this, Jesus is using this to blow up that paradigm. This idea that Jesus resides in a place. Jesus resides in a temple. Jesus resides in a place of the holiest of holies. And he's reminding us during this time that he is not in a temple, but he is in our homes. He is in our hearts. And, and we talked about that even this morning, just reflecting like that these Jews, that they had to travel for miles and miles. And even today, Jerusalem is a destination place to go and be in this location, which they, there is Jesus is no more here with me right now than he is in the Vatican, than he is in your home, than he is in under the bridge in downtown Austin, Texas. That Jesus and his presence is the same in all of those places. And, and I think that, that we have this idea that he resides in this temple. Uh, Shay and I, at the beginning of this year, we took a road trip to go see our friends at Gonzalez's in Orlando right at the beginning of the year. And we drove from, um, from Austin to Orlando, and it was a great trip. We had a ton of fun. It was just she and I, and we love road tripping. And so on our way through, we passed through our hometown of Orange, Texas. And so I went to First United Methodist Church there in Orange, and... I, you know, it was a, it's a wonderful church, and I have all these memories of growing up with the kids. The same, yes, yeah, the church I went to, my parents, my grand, my grandparents, my great grandparents, we all went to this this church. And it's very traditional, and so on our way through, we stopped. And the funny thing was, is Shay went to First Baptist, which was across the street, and so literally the Methodist church and the Baptist church were across the street from one another. I mean, you can't write that like that. That is so like typical of. Uh, you know, where we grew up, but they're across the street from one another. And I used to go to Shay's youth group because all the pretty girls went to the Baptist youth group, which is, I was true because Shay went to that youth group. And here we are, lo and behold, many years later. And so we stopped at our church. And the, the crazy thing was, is uh, during Hurricane, uh, Hurricane Rita, um, 
Orange was flooded and, and a lot was lost. And during Harvey, excuse me, it was during Harvey that a lot was lost. And we went to our churches just to go see them. And there's my church, and it's the First United Methodist Church. This is this old church. And, man, we went in, and we went into the chapel, and it just felt like all those familiar feelings. And, and just, I, I know this is silly, but, like, the feel of the rail going up, the squishiness of the carpet. Like, my grandmother needle-pointed some of the altar cushions that were there. And so we went in, and it just felt, smelled sounded even in its silence just like I remembered as a kid and it brought back you know I felt all the feelings and we walk out and we walk across the street to where Shay's church that she grew up in and it's gone it is gone there is nothing but a field that was there the church does not exist and we found out that when when Harvey hit that their church didn't have flood insurance and so they lost everything and it was just this dichotomy like we see this church and oh man I grew up here and it feels like I love this church and I remember and I know this place to walk across the street where Shay grew up same experience and it doesn't exist and then that's heartbreaking but the truth is is that Christ is in our homes and not a temple he doesn't reside there. And, and believe me, I want you to come back to church, right? I want us to continue to gather in the YMCA or wherever you go to church. And, and I think that that's important. But don't be mistaken and fooled to think that that is where the Lord is. If you look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, he did ministry in homes. He did ministry on the road. He did ministry in the wilderness. He did ministry in gardens. I mean, you, you look at, at um, the seven miracles of John. The seven miracles, you can look through in John, the seven, seven miracles performed in John. One was at a wedding, one was in the city streets, one was at a public pool, one was, as the word says, in a remote place with 5,000 of his closest friends. One was on the Sea of Galilee, literally on, he's walking on the Sea of Galilee. One is along a road, he heals a blind man, and the other is at a grave, the tomb, the tomb of Lazarus. None of those are in a temple. That oftentimes... When Jesus went to the temple courts or went to the temple, that was a place of conflict. It was a place of strife. It was a place of difficulty. And I love the church. And there's nothing around, wrong with church buildings or doing that. But the truth is, and here's the truth, is that Jesus' ministry was outside the walls of the church. And that is what we are doing. And man, if, if we... If we are limited or stuck in the ministry that God's given us because we can't gather in a gymnasium at 1812 North May Street in Round Rock, Texas, we've got a bigger problem. We've got a bigger problem as Christ followers. And I get it. And like you're gathering on Easter Sunday, and I, I don't want to minimize how you're feeling. I don't want to minimize missing hugging someone or putting your Easter best on and doing all those sort of things. I have all these memories. So in sake of that, I have some pictures here to show you. And I asked my mom, I emailed her, or I called her on Thursday. I said, hey, can you send me some pictures of when I was a kid? She's like, yes. So I have the pictures here and we'll put them up on your screen. Uh, the first one you can see here is me and my brother and my dad. Uh, there's Big Martin, who's a part of our church. You can see Big Martin in another life. This is 1983. And so um, you see me there dressed in what looks like a dress 
mom, I think that might be a dress that you have your son dressed in. That is terrible. And so here's another one of me and my brother and my grandmother, and here I am in a nice plaid sports coat, red tie, and some sort of Easter basket thing in my hand. I think this is 1985, and there's me, me, my grandmother, and we went to church with her. She, uh, you know, she served the church. She did the needle pointing. She, I think she was on the Bells team with my mom. Um, and then the last, uh, yeah, we have a couple more. There's, here's me and my brother, and that's just a really sweet picture of he and I, and then this last one is just he and I out, out front of our home in Orange, Texas. I think this is 1986, and you see I was wearing a bow tie long before it was cool, and that picture, a red bow tie. So if you wonder who started the bow tie trend, you have evidence and proof right there. So I don't want to minimize those things. The Lord loves his church, but don't be remiss if you think that because we're not gathering that Jesus is not there, that the ministry that Jesus' ministry was outside the walls of the church. And Scripture puts a lot of emphasis and a lot of importance on the home, specifically the home. And it, Scripture talks as much about the home, if not more than it does the temple and the buildings that we gather in. Isaiah 32, 18 says, My people will live in peaceful dwelling places in secure homes in undisturbed places of rest. The Shema, the prayer, that the, the Jewish prayer that the, the Jews pray even today says this, and it talks about, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your, all of your strength. And it says, and these commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up, your very room, your very, the, the most secure, safe, comfortable place that there is. It says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Jesus says in John 14, he talks about our eternal home. So don't think that your house or your home or your room or your dwelling place ends here because it is eternal in john 14 jesus says my father's house has many rooms if that were not so i would have told you that i'm going there to uh if that were not so would i have told you that i'm going there to prepare a place for you and if i go and prepare a place for you i will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where i am the place that jesus is preparing for you in eternity is in a home Man, you have a gift right now. You're gathered in your home, and you can, Christ is as obtainable and as real as he is there as, as he was in, in our church at the YMCA or whatever temple or thing that you have in your mind. That that's where the Lord is. He is in homes and not temples. The second thing I think is important uh, to understand in the scripture on, on this Easter Sunday is that Jesus shows him his wounds, not scars. So the second thing is wounds and not scars. In verse 39, he says, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And Jesus then shows them the very wounds of his crucifixion. He shows them the, the, where he was pierced in his side, he shows him his hands and his feet where he was nailed to a cross. And I know you th might think, okay, wounds and scars, tomato, tomato, right? What's the difference? So they, you know, 
minimal difference. But this is a significant, important difference that we understand. That scars are not wounds. Now, scars used to be wounds. But Jesus does not show them the scars on his hands and the scars on his feet and the scar on his side. He didn't say, touch this and feel this ridge. You see this little thing, this faint line? I used to be pierced there. As he says, put your hand inside my wound. And he shows them this. I have a scar that's on my chin. I'm sure you cannot see because I've shaved. And if I don't shave for a while or a few days, it shows up pretty prominently. I got this scar when I jumped into my family. You know this if you know anything about me. We go to Garner State Park every summer. And please, Lord, let's not cancel Garner State Park this year. Um, we go to Garner every summer since I was born. My family's been going there since the 50s. And so when I was a kid, I mean, we get there and, and we you know, get unpacked. And we run down the river and we jump in to float the river. And boom, I hit my chin on, on a rock. And it split it open, and, and you know, I don't remember. I was like, you know, three or four. And, and mom says, man, I was just bleeding everywhere. And then she was like, yeah, we probably should have taken you, but we had just gotten there. We are like, get on your tube and go, right? We are going. So we floated the river, and eventually it stopped bleeding, and now I have a nice little scar, right? But this isn't a wound, right? This isn't a wound that I have on my chin. So I want to ask you the question. I, I want you to, this is, see, I, this is what I miss about church. I like interaction. And if you know, if you've ever been to our church, I will ask you a question in church. So don't sit in the front. But I, I raise a hand. Raise your hand if you have a scar in some way, shape, or form, a physical scar. That's everyone in this room that I'm in. And I'm sure it's most people in your room except for your little baby. But, hey, we can count on the umbilical cord, right? So we all have scars, Right. And, and you're not rushing to the hospital. We're standing here. I'm fine. But if you had a wound right now, if you had a wound right now, would you still be sitting here listening, participating in this? No. If your ceiling fan fell from the ceiling and gashed your leg open and you had an open wound, what would you do? You would run from the house. You would take yourself to the hospital and you would care for that, right? And that's what's different about wounds and scars. And Isaiah 53 is the great prophecy. And I, want, I just want to, you to see how significant it is and why it's so important to understand that these are Jesus' wounds and not his scars. Isaiah 53 says, it says many things as it prophesies about the crucified Christ. It says that he was despised and rejected by humankind, by mankind. It says that he bore our suffering. And as you, as you likely know, it says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And finally, it says, by his stripes, we are healed. And you hear that, that idea of stripes, and you think, to me, that sounds like a scar. Like, I think that by his scars, we are healed. But that is a poor translation that it is by his wounds we are healed. The, the, the scripture literally says, what the scripture literally says there, it says, by his scourging, we are healed. Do you know what a scourging is? Well, a scourge is a whip or a lash that's been fashioned together. And a scourging is someone that has been whipped until they have open wounds. And you know the story of Jesus going on the cross. You know that they scourged him. They lashed him with a cat of nine tails before he put the cross on his back and walked up the hill of cavalry. That is by his opened wounds, his scourging that we that we find healing. Isaiah, uh, excuse me, Psalm verse thirty-eight or. Psalm chapter 38, verse 5, uses the very same word, and it translates it like this. It says, my wounds fester. 
and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. When comparing that the psalmist says that when he compares our sins, that it's like an open wound. And the truth is, the truth of this is, is that we mistake our wounds for scars. That we look at the wounds in our own life and we call them scars. And we are dying because of it. We are dying because of those wounds. And, and wounds are caused by sin. The wages of sin is death. When Jesus went in our place to the cross and was scourged, was pierced, was nailed and, and breathed his last breath, that was in place of you and that was in place of me. That what he did physically is a representation of what happens to our spiritual bodies because of sin. Is that we are scourged, we are nailed, we are pierced, and we are dead in our sin. And Jesus went and bore that death. He paid that price for our sins. And the truth about sin is, is these, the wounds that you have in your life, they may, be, they may be the sins of ourselves or they may be the sins of others. They may be the sins of, they may, may be our own sins or they may be the sins of others. And I think about even on a simple, a simple level, like my, my own anger or, or wrath or, or, or you know, that, that I, I get angry and lose my patience and temper and I'll yell at the kids, right? There's ramifications to our sin. Do you understand that, that our wounds and our own brokenness, they don't just affect us, they affect others as well. You know, I'm a, I'm a, uh, a product, my, my parents were divorced and I was 21 years old and I have wounds from that. And I love my parents and they would never do anything to hurt me and they love me deeply. But, but our sin has ramifications. So I want you just to think about that. What Jesus is showing them is he's showing them his wounds and not his scars. And many of us in our own lives that we have, we have wounds that are in our lives that are there, that are festering, that are going to kill us. The last thing we see here is not only um, is, is it home and not temple, not only is it wound and not scar, but the last thing that I think is really significant here is, is it is revealed and not learned. It is revealed and not learned. In verse 45, it says, then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. Is it Jesus? First, he reminds them about the law. He says, you know, he says, I, I told you about the law of Moses, about the prophets, about the Psalms, that those must be fulfilled. And then scripture in verse, in verse 45, as I flip to my next page, it says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, the truth about the gospel. And I, I love that image and that, that idea of, of him unlocking and, and, and flipping a hatch and opening their minds so that they can understand Scripture. And Scripture and the truth about Jesus Christ is revealed and not learned. He didn't take them and think, okay, you guys are going um, to go build the church. On this rock, I'll build my church, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I'm going to go, and so we're going to start Bible Class 101. So get your Bibles out, you know, get parchment. I guess they wrote on parchment or stone tablets. I don't know. Parchment sounds good. And he says, all right, Bible 101. And, the, you know, and he, didn't, he didn't teach them this theology. Because all theology is, is man's understand, and understanding about Scripture and truth about Jesus Christ. But he revealed it to him. And I think about my own kids. 
And I think about, uh, you know, last last night uh, when we celebrated, celebrated when we remembered uh, Good Friday, um, we put what Shane and I did was at nine o'clock, and so uh, we put the boys, our two younger boys who are seven and five, and we put them to bed. And it was just me, and it was Shay, and it was Sloan. Of course, the you know Keller belly ached over that. Is why does she get to participate? Why can't I? And all this sort of stuff. And I reminded him, Keller, if he's probably not listening. See, I said the last several Sundays, Sloan is sat right in the front. She's worshipped. She's listened. And you've played with Legos, buddy. But um, but we put the boys to bed, um, and, and we had the, we 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 participated. And uh, this ceremony of remembering Good Friday, remember what Jesus did. And the truth is, is that my daughter Sloan has salvation in Jesus Christ. That, that God has revealed himself to her in a real and significant and life-changing way. And she has been born again. That She has said yes to Jesus. That She has made that decision herself. Not because she went to Bible class. Not because of Vessel Kids. It's amazing. Well, it is because of Vessel Kids. But, I mean, they didn't go through like this. When you turn eight, you go through this class. But that God revealed himself to her. And so as we finished up Good Friday and we turned the TV off and we, we, we put out that last candle, we sat in our living room, me, Shay, and Sloan, and we sat in darkness. We sat there for probably 15 minutes. Then I prayed for us. And we took communion, the three of us together. And it was a very emotional moment, very real for all three of us. And man, Sloan said, I mean, when we I prayed and we took communion, she says, you know, Daddy, have you ever seen those Bible videos where you hear Jesus' voice? Like, that's his voice to me. And she said, when we were in darkness, she said, I was just talking to him. And I could feel, feel I could hear his voice. And I, I'm sorry, she said, I could feel my heart getting warmer. Like, that's amazing. Like, at 10 years old, that she can sit in silence and have communion and relationship with Jesus Christ. That is amazing. And the truth is, my boys aren't there yet. They're not there yet. And so as we finished up, I prayed for them. We prayed for many things, but we, the three of us, prayed for Keller, and we prayed for Barrett, and we prayed that the Lord would reveal himself to them. And it was an emotional night, but I can guarantee you that was the most emotional that Shay 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 was. I said, we, we prayed for those boys. I could sit down right now. I could go home today, Easter evening. I could sit Keller down at a table. He's seven years old, and I could explain to him sin. I can explain to him the truth about the wages of sin or death. I explain to him about how there's nothing that he can do to make that right, to justify, to be righteous, that his sin separates him to God, and there's no way back to God except through the blood of Jesus Christ, that Jesus, God sent Jesus. He lived this perfect life. He was a, he was a son of God. He lived a sinless life, and he went to the cross in my place, in his place, Kelly. He went in your place. And he died, and his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you accept that gift and say yes to Jesus Christ, then you will have salvation. And intellectually, I guarantee you, Keller can understand all of that. He would intellectually understand and agree with all that. And I could easily manipulate him into a sinner's prayer. But is that real? Is that what God wants? You see, Scripture talks clearly about understanding comes from the heart, right? I know that that's strange, but Scripture talks about un, uh, coming from the heart. The parable of the soils um, in Matthew chapter 13, 
Jesus lays out four different types of soil. One is a path where seed is scattered and the birds snatch it away. One is rocky soil where the seeds take root, but they're shallow. When the sun comes, it scorches it and it dies. One is soil that has weeds, and as the, as the plant comes up, that weeds come up alongside it. And then the last is good, healthy soil. And when the disciples ask him to describe and teach them and help them understand what this means, the soil describes the heart, not the mind. The soil describes the condition of their heart. And Jesus says this in Matthew 13, verse 15. It says, for the people's heart has become calloused, that they hardly hear with their ears, that they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and listen to this, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Revelation comes in the heart. And so what I am praying for Keller so I'm praying that God reveals himself to him and that Keller has an understanding of his heart, an understanding of his heart. Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verse 17 says, and I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Not so that you can be an excellent Bible scholar, not so that you can have an answer for every little question or that you have a nice buttoned up healthy theology and that you can complain about worship music because it has a certain word that you don't like or don't think that it fits, but so that you may know Jesus Christ better. And that's what I'm praying for Keller. I don't want him to know Jesus like he knows Abraham Lincoln. I want him to know Jesus Christ like he knows me. And better than that, that's what I want. And that's what Jesus does there. He, he opens their minds and brings revelation to them so that those disciples can know him better. And so it comes, it's revealed to them and not learned. And I see so many, and the truth of it is this, is that the mind will be transformed, but faith comes from the heart. That's the truth, that the mind will be transformed, but true faith comes from the heart. Scripture says that we, are being, that we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind. That I'm not asking you to check your brain at the door. I'm not, I'm not asking you to just set that down when it comes to Jesus Christ. That the Lord is transforming your mind, transforming how you think, transforming how you understand, transforming how you see circumstances and situations and people and life. And the world around you is that is a transformative thing that the blood of Jesus Christ does to your mind. Right? It's, 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 under, it's, it's peace that surpasses all what? Understanding. That that is what the Lord does. And don't confuse believing with understanding. And I think it's important. I'm not knocking Bible study or learning scripture. or, or Those things are incredibly valuable. But you better be doing it so that you know Jesus better, not so that you're an excellent um, scholarly theologian so that you can know Jesus better. And I've seen so many people get caught up on that, that they want to say yes to Jesus. And what they can't get over is they've read and they've researched and they've studied, they've done everything they can. And what they can't do when it comes to Jesus is wrap their brain around it. They can't wrap their mind around who Jesus is. And I'm telling you, if you are in that place, you are chasing a ghost to think that you are, are taking God and trying to get him within the confines of your mind, it does not fit. It's that belief comes from the heart. 
I think about Shay Shay and I, and when we fell in love and got married, we dated for three months before I proposed to her. And I literally woke up that day, the day that I proposed to her, I woke up that day and I called mom. I said, mom, I want to marry her. She's incredible. I'm in love and I want to marry her. And I went that morning and I bought a ring. I left the store uh, with the ring. I drove to Liberty Hill and sat down with Pops, who I didn't know as Pops then. I knew as Coach Bourne or Mr. Bourne or Shay's dad. Uh, and asking if I can marry her. And then I got in the car and I drove to Fort Worth and I proposed to Shay all in the same day. That was not an intellectual, well thought out, understand the decision. That was a decision of the what of the heart. And man, she said yes, which, which literally, thank you, God, she didn't have a well, good, thought out, uh, that she was making decisions with her heart. But that's what it looks like when it comes to Jesus Christ. So as we close this morning, our worship team is going to lead us out um, with some worship. And here's some things I just want to encourage you as we close out. The first is this. The first is this. As we think about home and not temple, the first thing I want to encourage you to do is, man, to invite God into your home. And I'm saying that even, even if you're not a believer, to invite the Lord into your home. There's no rule that says that you can't pray to God because you don't believe in Jesus. God hears us. And invite him into your home. And if you're a Christ follower, invite him into that. And I will tell you, for us, that has been one of the biggest blessings out of all of this. Is man, we have seen Jesus in our home like we never have before. That in our, in our house and, and in prayer and, and through all of this, we have seen the Lord invade our space. Like I told you that prayer that last night as we just prayed and Sloan shares that. It's amazing. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was working, like a couple weeks ago, I was working in my office and Shay was doing the, uh, the little uh, Vessel Kids lesson with the kids and she asked Barrett to pray. And that dude, I have it on video, but it's a really poor quality. That dude prayed the most incredible five-year-old prayer that I've ever heard. It was so sweet. We've been doing the Vessel Kids lessons and, and talking about Scripture, and Shay and the kids had a conversation about, you know, Jesus going to the cross and about electric chair and why they would do that to him. I mean, Jesus is invading our home, and he wants in. And if you remember a few weeks ago, I reminded, we, we talked about, we reminded through Scripture that Jesus is a guest and not an intruder. He will never break into your home, but he will come if he's invited in. So the first application and thing that you can do today is invite the Lord into your home. You know, when we had that uh, worship party a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, that was a month ago, we had the worship party for all the craziness start. Keller wanted to invite some buddies from class, and so he took them to his friends at class, and so he, he gave them the cards. It was so sweet. He said, dear so-and-so, uh, come and worship with me. That's what he wrote. It was so sweet. And then, so I asked him, I was like, hey, buddy, how did they, are they going to come? He's like, yeah, my one friend is. And that, that's cool. And I said, oh, I said something about, do they go to church? Like, that's my, my mind. Like, like, oh, are they Christian? Well, if they go to church, they must be. Like, do we have that? Like, I'm ready to check the box. He's like, I didn't ask him that. He's like, I, I, but I invited him. He talked about how he and his dad read scripture and pray together every night. And then I was so touched and inspired by that. Like, it really just challenged me. And that was so tender and sweet that that was a conversation these boys had. Not what church do you attend. Right, so the first thing is, is invite Jesus into your home. Second application is look at your life and see if you have wounds. Look at your life and see if you have wounds. 
and don't confuse your scars, don't confuse your wounds for scars, is that there are things in our life that haven't been dealt with. There are opening, open, festering wounds that are going to kill us. And, and I just urge you to take a long, hard, honest look at your life and see what wounds are there, where you've been hurt, the things that, that you need forgiveness for, the things that you need to forgive, the things that you need. And I'm talking about if you need to see a counselor, go see a counselor. If, if you are struggling with alcoholism, then find freedom from that. Those are open wounds that are destroying your life. And then move beyond those because in eternity, there is a king with wounds and not scars. And there, there's the old adage that says, the only man-made thing there will be in heaven are the wounds in his feet and in his side and in his crown of thorns and the scourging on his back. It's the only man-made thing there will be in heaven in eternity. And there are wounds and not scars. And I'm going to read something out of Revelation uh, chapter 5 as we close. So I'll come back to that. Last thing is, so I want to encourage you, if you're struggling with... Um, trying to understand scripture, to ask the Lord to reveal himself to you. As you sit down and you open the word or right now in prayer, ask God to reveal himself to your heart. And even if you have a hardened heart, you're not there um, with Jesus yet. Ask him to soften that. Ask him to help you get there. And if you're struggling with something or you don't know, if you, you call yourself a Christ follower and you are, you are, You've given your life to Jesus, but you're struggling in understanding. If you've got anxiety, ask for God to reveal truth to you because his word says that he does. And his word promises us that he is a God that will open our mind to the scripture to understand and that is beyond anything that we can comprehend. It's peace that's beyond understanding. And ask God to reveal that to you. And so as we close out in worship, I want to read this out of Revelation uh, chapter 5. I don't have this in my notes as I just kind of thought about it today in worship. And it's this idea of Jesus having wounds and not scars. You see, in Revelation chapter 5, when we see the throne room, in eternity, what's it going to look like? Man, if, if anybody's telling you that they can read Revelations and fully and completely understand everything that it is, I want to meet that guy. Because it is hard to understand. And I don't think it's meant to, for us to fully fit within the confines of our brain. But there's some truth and some things that we know there. And first and foremost, we know there's this, it talks about this scroll and the scroll that can't be opened. And it says that the lamb takes the scroll and it says this. It says, then I saw the lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which were the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each, had, each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which were the prayers of God's people. And this word says that it was a lamb that looked as if it had been slain. It wasn't a lamb that had a scar along its side. It was a lamb that looked at it that if it had been slain with a wound. And that they, they began to sing a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God, persons from every tribe and language and people of every nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. 
They say, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that's in them saying, to him who sits on the throne, to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.